The Phillies finally win a series. The Phillies take home their first series win since the beginning of August, but the Phillies are mostly out of it. What should they be doing with the rest of their season? Tim Kelly and I discuss Carlos Santana and what the Phillies should be doing between now and the end of the season. All this and more in Philly Nation episode 55. City brotherly love, stand up, hands up. That's where I come from. Welcome to this Phillies Nation episode 55. My name is Frank Close and I am your host of the Phillies Nation podcast. And you can find me on 97.3 ESPN in South Jersey and sportstalkphilly.com. I appreciate you listening today. I know on a Sunday you were probably doing some other things at 1 o'clock while the Phillies were playing the Miami Marlins. But the Phillies finally... Finally, finally win a series, even though they lost the finale of this three-game series against the Marlins in Philly. Phillies dropped drop to the Marlins 6-4 to four on Sunday afternoon. Nick Pavez takes a loss, allowing three earned runs in five innings. Not his worst performance, but certainly not his best performance. The Phillies put together just seven hits. They... Took a quick lead early in the first inning, thanks to a leadoff home run from Cesar Hernandez. Phillies only get one the rest of the way until the ninth inning when they pick up a couple more. Besides Nick Pavetta giving up three and five innings, Luis Garcia gives up three earned runs in the sixth inning. I think sometime later this offseason when we look at who should stay and who should go, I think right now Luis Garcia is in my go column but yeah another another mostly lifeless uh outing from the phillies on sunday now hoskins goes two for five hernandez has at home run and five at bats but oduble herrera zero for three carlos santana zero for four and we'll talk about him okay because i'm not i i'm not as down on carlos santana as a lot of people are as Drupal Cabrera, 0 for 4. Jorge Alfaro went 0 for 2 before being replaced by Wilson Ramos. J.P. Crawford went 1 for 2 before being replaced by a pinch hitter when the Phillies were trying to pick up some runs. And Aaron Altair, he's been okay this week. Uh, 2 for 2 with 2 doubles. Meanwhile, number 9 hitter Roman Quinn goes 1 for 4, drives in a couple runs. He drives in 2 of the Phillies' 4 runs today. And his batting average now sits at 330. But we're seeing right now at this point in the season, the Phillies have 39 active players on their roster. I keep assuming that the 40th spot will soon be taken whenever Aaron Loop gets off the 10-day disabled list. Or I would tend to think that if Loop was not going to come back, he would be, you know, they would use his roster spot by putting him on the 60-day disabled list. But the Phillies yet um, they haven't really announced anything on the topic, but, but at any rate, they have enough players. I think that's that's fair to say. So the Phillies, with their bloated roster, pinch hitting frequently, 
It seems like every time there's the opportunity to score some runs, if there's a righty up against a right-handed pitcher, Gabe Kapler goes for the lefty, and vice versa. In fact, <laughs> as we saw this weekend, Scott Kingery got pinch hit for even before he batted once. He wanted to go with the left-handed Cabrera, the switch hitter Cabrera, but he could bat left-handed there. So the Phillies are, are, are using a lot of players right now. I did look up the other day the, the record for most players in a game, and there was one game in a few years ago where I think where the Dodgers and, and Rockies played, and the Dodgers used 30 and the Rockers, Rockies used 28 players. Phillies haven't gotten that far out of control yet, but it would not shock me if that would be the case. The Phillies, they win this first game of the series in commanding fashion, 14-2. to You know, it seemed like that was the first game where the Phillies were, for all intents and purposes, out of it. And they route the Miami Marlins, 14-2. to on Saturday, the Phillies pull out another victory, 5-4. to four. That was actually a nice victory. They gutted it out. Um, you know, the, This was a situation where the starting pitcher of the day, Vince Velasquez, was pulled after two innings because he had l- allowed four runs. And then the bullpen gets the other seven innings, allowing nowhere in runs. So very nice performance from the bullpen there. You know, We really saw the, the names at the back end of the bullpen that you really hoped would be the stabilizing force this year and Tommy Hunter and Pat Neshek. Tommy Hunter continues to pitch very, very well, had a perfectly clean inning. His ERA now down to 351 after being atrocious for much much of the first half. And Pat Neshek gets his fifth save with an equally clean ninth inning. Imagine if the Phillies had good Hunter and Neshek that whole first half. They might have picked up enough games that might have kept them in it right now. Hector Neris also with a nice inning. He did give up one hit, uh, but he allowed uh, he struck out two during that inning. So it looks like he's come back to form. And Edu Bry Ramos one clean inning, two strikeouts. So I think you saw a little bit there in Ramos, Neris, Hunter, Nishek. If they're firing on all cylinders, they can give you a lot. And I also think that Victor Arano. Kind of, you know, he's had his moments. He had a couple couple slip-ups, but he's had a good uh, season for the Phillies, too. So right there, that's five righties that can give you some decent innings. The lefties have yet to really hit their grow, groove. Um, Austin Davis gave you one and one-third that day. Uh, we didn't see Adam Morgan that game, but he, he did catch an inning on Sunday. And... The other lefties around, Luis Avilan, uh, will be around next year. Hasn't really pitched that great so far in limited action for the Phillies. And, of course, Aaron Loop barely pitched before he hit the disabled list. But now that we know that the Phillies are not likely not making the playoffs, and, yes, they are still technically in it. They are six and a half out with 14 to play. Now, I mean, they could sweep the Braves for seven games and make that up, but the reality is it's pretty much over. You know, the Phillies' run differential, even after blowing out the Marlins the other day, is now negative nine. And really, that that's going to tell the story for this Phillies team, is that negative nine runs. I mean, even the wild card, you know, the Phillies, Phillies are technically uh, within... 
better shot of a wild card, but they're still five and a half games out. A lot of teams ahead of them. Colorado, Los Angeles, St. Louis, Arizona. And even the Nationals are only a game behind them. Nationals taking two out of three from the Braves this weekend. But really, since the Phillies are, for all intents and purposes, done, the question now becomes, what do you do the rest of the way? Now, one big name that we're going to talk about here is Carlos Santana. It's not so much that he hasn't given the Phillies what they expected him to give. Now, Carlos Santana has never been a high batting average guy. And it is very fair to say that the months of April and the month of July were not good. Okay, both months he struggled too much. All right. But his season has been one of a lot of hard hit balls that get caught. They seem to know how to play him defensively. Decent power, high on base, decent OPS. But can the Phillies afford to have him around in 2019? Is he a square peg in a round hole? And we're joined by Tim Kelly of Phillies Nation. So, Tim, what is your perspective on Carlos Santana? I know this is something you've you've talked about a little bit and written about a lot, um, but where do you think the future is for Carlos Santana on this Phillies team? My guess is the future on for Carlos Santana isn't on this Phillies team, and I think I feel that way for different reasons than a lot of people feel. He's been scorching hot this month. He's a great clubhouse presence. He's going to walk 100 times, which no Philly's done in 10 years. So I think Carlos Santana is a very good player. I just think Reese Hoskins has been such a, I don't even want to say failure, because I think he's worked very hard in left field. It's just not a fit in left field for him. And without the DH in the National League, the only other place you can really put Reese Hoskins is at first base. And with that, I think Carlos Santana, you're probably going to have to eat a chunk of his money and move him to facilitate that deal because you can't be as poor in the field as you've been this year. So that that assumes, though, of course, that they can get outfield help that will make a difference. Uh, I mean, no, it seems like we've talked ad nauseum about uh, the like, you know, maybe getting Bryce Harper on the Phillies uh, as maybe being one of their free agent goals. Uh, but if they, if you don't get Harper, like, where do you see them actually making up the outfield? Because I don't think that. I don't think they necessarily approve if they subtract Santana and all they do is simply add Roman Quinn or Aaron Altair, wouldn't you say? Right, and I mean, there's other free agents without having done a, a deep dive on it. I know Michael Brantley's a free agent. Like, there's other corner outfield types you can find those, both in free agency and in trade. So I, I think that's a possibility. In the end, Reese Hoskins isn't going to be a good fielder at any position, but he's the first Philly in seven years and hit over 30 home runs, and I think a lot of people have feel he has 40 home run potential. I don't think his offense has been affected by him playing in left field. That's something I've heard people say. I don't think that's the case. But I do think the Phillies' defense has been really bad this year, and part of being a contending team is not only hitting, but also fielding at an exceptional level. And Reese Hoskins is not the only problem on this team fielding-wise, but Reese Hoskins has graded out as probably the worst fielder at any position in the sport, and uh, it, it's difficult to keep him in left field given that. So let me ask you this. You know, a couple of weeks ago when you were on with me, I, 
I asked the question if the Phillies might throw Carlos Santana at third base just to get some just to get some offense because they were still in it at the time and they just absolutely desperately needed some offense. Well, now that things have changed and for all intents and purposes, as I just mentioned a moment ago, you can kind of say the Phillies are out of it. Yes, they're not mathematically out of it, but they're they're out of it. I think most people would agree. You agree, right? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So. But the Phillies have continued to give Carlos Santana some starts at third base. So, so I, I, I asked this on Twitter, and I'm just curious of your opinion here. Could this be that the Phillies are just saying, hey, what the heck, let's see how Carlos Santana can do at third? I think there's a little bit of that. There's also that Michael Franco's been banged up, so that's been more of a possibility to have him play at third. And it's also... Uh, teams aren't going to view the Phillies as having a ton of leverage as it is if they don't play Carlos Santana or if they go to trade Carlos Santana. If they don't play him at all down the stretch, it kind of gives away that, yeah, they're looking to move him and they view Reese Hoskins as the first baseman in the future. So this at least gives them the option of saying, well, we don't have to trade him. We're content playing him at third base, maybe a little outfield, and then maybe at first base some too. So, with Carlos Santana, I struggle to think that he's going to play third base on a regular basis, but I think internally lots of teams have lots of discussions, and do I believe that please have thought, could Carlos Santana play third base for a season or two seasons or whatever it would take? Probably, but the one season that he played over 200 innings at third base was 2014 with the Indians. He had negative five defensive runs saved. Uh, some of the advanced statistics like ultimate zone rating that talk about what type of range you have, he, he was horrific in that category. So he's held his own. It's not to say anything negative of Carlos Santana. He's a first baseman. He was a catcher when he's younger. He's not a third baseman. It's cool that for a team he can slide over there. He has a good enough arm to play over there. But realistically, not even taking into account the log jam the Phillies would have in the infield, it's difficult to imagine him playing third base on a regular basis for a team that's contending. Yeah, and it, it, it's a shame because I, I look at Santana, I see somebody with a good arm, of course, because he used to catch, so he can make the throws. I think his hands are okay, but I guess it's just a ma- an issue of range. Is that correct? It's an issue of range, and I, it's an issue of not putting square pegs in round holes anymore. I mean, it's worked out with Scott Kingery. I think Scott Kingery might may be a shortstop or at least uh, for another year or so, because I'm not entirely convinced Cesar Hernandez won't be here next year. But Scott Kingery's worked at shortstop because Scott Kingery has the athletic ability to do that. But some of the other criticisms about players playing out of position, you'd be moving Reese Hoskins back to first base because he struggled mightily at a position that he wasn't good at. To then move Carlos Santana to a position where he doesn't have a ton of experience and when he did play wasn't particularly good at, it seems to just kind of be... Uh, maybe you make the problem a little bit better, but you're not really addressing the actual problem, and that is that the Phillies have been on pace with teams like the Orioles, who are really bad teams in terms of how they fielded this season. So let's talk for a second then about Cesar Hernandez. I know Matt Vazy on on philliesnation.com kind of seems ready to move on from Hernandez. Uh, You know, he did regress a little bit this season, and, it, and it's a shame because he got cold when the Phillies really needed him to not be cold. Uh, he certainly picked it up again as of late a little bit, it, it, would, it would appear. Uh, but the, the Phillies have not gotten out of Cesar Hernandez what he's been for them the last couple of years. 
So do you That's dare true. try? Do you dare try to, you know, open up second base and say, well, if we put Scott Kingery at his natural position, you know, we're confident based on his his play at shortstop that he would do well there. Uh, what what would you do approaching this off season? Scott Kingery's best attribute this season has been him fielding at shortstop. Now, if you sign Manny Machado with the intent to play in the shortstop, then I think you put Scott Kingery at second base and look to move Cesar Hernandez, although I'm not entirely convinced they wouldn't try to use him in that super utility role that they initially envisioned using him in at the beginning of the season. Other than that, if Manny Machado is in your shortstop next year, there's a good chance Scott Kingery is going to be your shortstop. And independent of that, Cesar Hernandez has regressed a bit, and I love Matt, but I completely disagree with him on this because he's someone that gets on base a ton. He's someone that you would be trading now at, with his value at its lowest, and you have two more years of team control, so you'd be taking pennies on the dollar for someone that's been your leadoff guy for years. So maybe moving into the future, you don't have him that leadoff. Maybe you're not relying on him as much, but he's still a productive player, and I, I know Matt's talked about him having been, kind of wanting to turn the page on the 2013 to 2016 Phillies, which were really, really bad teams, and throw 2017 in there as well. I, just, I don't think that that's the case, though. I mean, I, that, that was the same argument used against a lot of the Sixers guys during the process that these guys aren't going to know how to win, and then when there's a team there capable around them of winning, they knew how to win. Cesar Hernandez, to me, is someone that entering this year was a top 10 second baseman, so just giving him away this offseason, to me, does not make sense. Now, one guy that's really part of this whole picture that seems to have gotten lost, and the other day I actually tweeted when he made a surprise appearance, like, hey, J.P. Crawford is still on this team, apparently. Uh, you know, the, the Phillies seem so reluctant to use him right about now. Um, you know, of course, he did not have a good season before he got hurt the various times. Then he went to AAA and was only so-so. So what do you do with J.P. Crawford? Because, you know... I think I think it's fair to say he has a lot of talent, and everybody's noticed that he's had a lot of talent, uh, really throughout the the whole trek through the minor leagues. Uh, but just because he hasn't put it together yet at the major league level, doesn't really take away the fact that some people still believe that this is a very talented young player. And what do you do with him? Do you, you let him try to find that talent somewhere else in the major leagues, or do you, do you give him one more shot? I don't even think it's a question he's on this team here. You don't guarantee him a starting position, obviously. He has not earned that this season. And a lot of that's been things out of his control because he's been injured. But when I look at him, I see a little bit of D.D. Gregorius early in his career because when J.T. Crawford drives the ball, he doesn't get cheated on home runs or balls that he drives in the gap. They are hard hit, long home runs, hard doubles. This is someone that if he unlocks things offensively, and there's no guarantee he's going to unlock things offensively, but if he does, I think he's someone that is an all-star caliber player potentially. So just to give up on that right now doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And within the final two weeks, Scott Kingery has not been so good that you can't take him out of the lineup. Frankly, offensively, he's been bad this season. So, And that, that even goes to my uh, discussion on Cesar Hernandez is, even in a regression year, Cesar Hernandez has been 10 times what Scott Kingery's been at the plate offensively this year. So the idea that you just trade him to slide Kingery in there when Kingery hasn't shown that he is that type of player at the major league level, 
kind of puzzling to me. But going back to J.P. Crawford, the one thing I would say, and I, I would have him start some games at shortstop, some games at third base, wherever you can work him in. And I do wonder going into next season if the Phillies won't have him play a little second base, a little maybe even try him in the outfield so that he can really kind of play in that utility role. And again, a lot of this depends on who you add to this team. Do you add Manny Machado? Do you add Bryce Harper? Do you add both? Do you add neither? Um, that's going to play into who you keep, who you trade. But J.P. Crawford, to me, I think is going to be a third baseman. And he obviously is going to have to hit a lot more to do that. But just from the way we've seen him feel, he looks better at third base than his natural position of shortstop. And going back and forth between the two doesn't seem to be doing him a ton of favors in terms of throwing across the diamond. He seems more comfortable at third base. He's graded out better in a small sample size defensively at third base. Um, it's just going to come down to what you're doing with Michael Franco long-term, whether Carlos Santana is still in the picture in some regard at third base. So we're going to have to see. But uh, J.P. Crawford, to me, it does not make sense to give up on him. Now, actually, J.P. Crawford, eight at-bats in September. He has four hits, including a home run. So uh, small sample size, of course, but... But I'm still surprised, though, that even after he's come on and, and made that contact, the Phillies have, have not played him so much. So, all right, now on to uh, Manny Machado, whose name keeps coming up uh, in this conversation. Uh, you wrote a piece the other day out about him on this Phillies team and uh, that it might have actually been better that the Phillies did not work out a trade for him. So tell us a little bit about your perspective on that. So I will say this. I didn't write the title for that piece, but... The gist of it, essentially, was that the Phillies were not Manny Machado away from winning anything this year. So if the price that you had to pay to realistically get him was giving up Sixto Sanchez been compared to Pedro Martinez by a couple different scouts, it just didn't make sense because then you eliminate the chance that you, Sixto Sanchez and Manny Machado are teammates, and from the looks of things, yeah, maybe the Phillies are two or three games closer, and two or three games at this juncture of the season certainly makes a difference, but in the end, the Phillies probably still missed the playoffs with Manny Machado, so you have a chance to sign him this offseason, he can then eventually be teammates, you hope, with Sixto Sanchez, and to me, that just makes a lot more sense. Now, I think there is a debate to be had, and it's become an increasingly interesting one about whether Bryce Harper makes more sense for the Phillies, but just looking at Machado, I think what we've seen in the second half of the season is that the Phillies were not Manny Machado away from winning. And at the trade deadline, or maybe even a little bit earlier in July, because Manny Machado went relatively early in the process, right at the All-Star game, uh, at that time it looked like, well, Manny Machado would lock the Phillies into winning the National League East, and really the National League looked wide open at that time. Potentially he would have given them a chance to make a run to the World Series. But looking back, that just seems silly now. Yeah, Machado, decent for the Dodgers, uh, 270 batting average. He's hit 11 home runs, driven in 30. Uh, 2.3 war for his time in, in Los Angeles, which certainly is is not negligible. Uh, and, of course, the Phillies, they, they end up picking up his dribble Cabrera. Instead, kind of been a disappointment so far. I'm just curious, what your thoughts on, on Cabrera? Is he somebody that could stick around in a utility role? or It's hard to see him getting a starting job somewhere. It is, but it's hard to see. I guess, again, it depends on what the Phillies are going to do with Cesar Hernandez, what they're going to do with J.P. Crawford, 
what position or positions they feel comfortable with Scott Kingery at, and even Michael Franco, what they're going to do with him. The one thing about rentals is it's rare that a rental comes over, doesn't perform that well, and then the team decides to keep that person. And he's had some big hits, don't get me wrong. He's obviously a good player. He's had one of the best seasons of his career this year. But it just doesn't scream. I think in a situation with rentals, usually it's they have to make you want to retain them past the end of the season. And as Drupal Cabrera hasn't done that, and really he was always a short-term addition. Yeah, negative .7 war for Cabrera since joining the Phillies, and it, that's pretty, pretty, pretty much a shade because uh, and it, I credit Corey Seidman for this stat, but there were only four players with an OPS of 800 or more traded at the trade deadline. The Phillies got two of them, and of course, one of them has been phenomenal, Wilson Ramos. The other has been Esdrubo Cabrera, OPS of 695 since joining the Phillies. And yes, five home runs, you know, not negligible. A few big hits there along the way, but not tremendous. Now, how about Wilson Ramos? Is he somebody you want to keep around on this Phillies team next year? Wilson Ramos is interesting. In the end, it's going to depend on, A, how the Phil feel about his health moving forward. He certainly had his issues with health. And, I mean, I, even when you watch the games on TV, you see if I was down at the ballpark Saturday night, and when you see him run in person, it's just like he really can't run right now. He's doing this with a really bad hamstring. And it's going to depend on the health. It's also going to depend on the years he gets. But I would imagine it's a one- or two-year deal he's looking at because He's a catcher in his early 30s that's had some injury issues. If they can get him for that rate, it makes sense. Jake or uh, Jorge Alfaro, excuse me, I would believe will continue to be Aaron Nola's catcher, and Wilson Ramos would kind of have to be cool with that, that Jorge Alfaro is going to play at least like two times a week. If he's good with that, then that's fine, and it may work best because you have someone in Wilson Ramos that tends to be injured, tends to get banged up. With Jorge Alfaro, you see the potential but if the 2018 season, and I'm writing a story on this right now, actually. If the 2018 season has shown us anything, it's just because you have a high ceiling does not necessarily guarantee that you achieve that ceiling. Now, with the exception of pass balls behind the plate, I think he's been very good. He's improved his pitch framing. The pass balls is not something to scoff at or look over. I understand that. But to me, he's proven that he can remain at catcher, which was once a question. Offensively, though, he's been a below-replacement-level player. Uh, there's a great quote that Babe Ruth said uh, where he talks about, I've found that the harder that I swing, and the, or the harder that I grip the bat, and the harder that I swing, the further the ball goes. And I, I feel like at some point in Jorge Alfaro's life, he read that quote and said, this is how I'm going to make it. And John Crux pointed this out a bunch this year. On the balls that he really drives and his tremendous raw power, especially to right center field. It's when he slows his swing down and just allows things to come to him because he's very strong. So you see the upside with him, but if your goal is to contend in 2019 and the division, I would imagine, is going to be better. The Braves should seem to get better and the Nationals have underachieved, so even if they lose Bryce Harper, presumably they'll be at least this good, if not better. You can't be sure that Jorge Alfaro can be a starting catcher on a contending team. So for a one- or two-year deal, you still leave the door open for Alfaro to eventually be the guy, but you don't guarantee that for 2019 or maybe 2020. Now, the other thing that's kind of been a question mark going down this stretch here is what do you do with all your outfielders? Now, it seems like in recent days, 
Nick Williams has played less. Uh, Roman Quinn has has actually bumped Odubel Herrera to the corners for a couple games so far. Uh, Aaron Altair has actually been decent in the limited action he's had in September. Uh, there's a lot of guys out there in the outfield, and that doesn't even that assumes that Reese Hoskins goes back to first base. But what do you do with all these outfielders? Yeah, if one of your goals this year was to kind of figure out what you had in the outfield, this year has been a disaster from that standpoint because Aaron Altair has had a season that's a disappointment by about any measure, but he still shows the raw talent. And if you listen to Gabe Kapler talk about it after Saturday, it still sounds like the Phillies are intrigued by him. Nick Williams is someone to me that is still going to be best suited to be a fourth outfielder. He thrived in that role early this season. But a fourth outfielder that DHs when you play in American League Park that can start some time and can get very hot, he's not a good fielder, though. And that's been exposed in an outfield where you're asking him to play what most people view as the second most important position in the outfield. So if you move Hoskins to the infield and Nick Williams is in left field, that, I think, improves you defensively. I'm not sure what happens in center field, to tell you the truth, because if Roman Quinn was able to stay healthy consistently, Roman Quinn would be a core piece of this team. There is no questioning the talent that he has. And frankly, some parts of his game will get overlooked. He seems to have quite a bit of power from the right-hand side. Like, this is someone that would be an all-star player. But he can't go one week, and this is not taking shots at him. It's just reality. I understand as a former athlete what injuries are like. But Roman Quinn, or when you're building a team, I'm just not sure how you can be sure that Roman Quinn's going to be healthy. So... I would find it difficult to move on from Odubel Herrera. The perfect situation next year, I guess the perfect situation would be for Bryce Harper to be in right field. But if that's not the case, you have Roman Quinn in center, Nick Williams or Aaron Altair in left, and then Odubel Herrera in right, which is actually not really a position he has much familiarity with. But uh, his defensive metrics have gone down. It's clear that Roman Quinn fits in center field probably the best of anyone in the organization. So that's the perfect situation but you just don't know what Roman Quinn's going to be next week let alone next April and that makes it difficult to plan for the future and that's on top of Otubel Herrera having a very strange season it's on top of Aaron Altair having a down season Nick Williams has been pedestrian the last month or so so it's difficult to look at what you have for the future one thing I can tell you for the future is that Dylan Cousins doesn't want to be fit in the major league yeah, Dylan Cousins, get, I was actually even surprised he was a September call-up, aside from the fact that they called up the entire roster. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, Dylan Cousins, one thing he has is a nice arm in right field, uh, though he hasn't really come in as a defensive replacement. Uh, as you mentioned, Nick Williams, I think his arm leaves a little bit to be desired. And, and even Herrera, I think that's going to be kind of tough because you often put your best arm in right field, right? Yeah, you put your best arm in right field. I'm not sure. I mean, Jose Bautista right now probably has your best arm, and he's been in right field. So uh, it's difficult to say. Bryce Harper doesn't grade out tremendously in the field, but he has a very good right arm. And, I mean, presumably if any if the Phillies were to sign him, they view him as a right fielder because he's really worked to play in center field to accommodate the situation they have there now, but he's a right fielder. So... That's another potential option. So when you look at this team, it reminds me a bit of what the Eagles were in 2016, where you see potential in some guys, but you need to 
the team a year later looked entirely different. You went from having Doriel Green, Beckham, and Bryce Treggs to having Torrey Smith and Alshon Jeffrey and LeGarrette Blunt, and it feels like the Phillies need a bit of that that type of injection into their team, coupled with what the Eagles also had, which is guys like uh, Michael Franco or Scott Kingery or Jorge Alfaro having taking the next step in their career, like guys like Trey Burton, Zach Ertz, and Nelson Aguilar did. So, to me, that's how you have to look at the Phillies, and it's going to be an interesting offseason. Howie Roseman did a tremendous job taking the Eagles from 2016 to 2017. That was probably the most crucial offseason of his career. To me, this is the most crucial offseason of Matt Contact's career. And there's one name that hasn't even come up yet. For all we've talked about, they have another guy with two years left of control, and actually his, his salary is among the top salaries of the entire team this season. That's Justin Bohr. What do you do with Justin Bohr? I don't think you non-tender him because he's too good, but it's more of a symbolic trade where you trade him to an American League team for a warm body. There is a place for Justin Bohr, but the Phillies have... Like, if you're going to trade Carlos Santana, you're trading him to put Reese Hoskins at first base. Otherwise, you keep Carlos Santana because Carlos Santana is a good player. So there's not really a fit Justin Bohr. And the role that he's in now, teams that are contending, they'll carry that type of player from August to whenever their season ends. They're not going to carry that player for the entirety of the season, nor does... I mean, Justin Bohr's good enough to be getting extended at bat somewhere. So it makes the most sense for all parties this offseason for him to be dealt to an American League team. And I guess you could say the same thing about the Jose Bautistas of the world, right? These are the guys that are going to get picked up, you know, August after the after the uh, non-waiver trade deadline, right? So I would assume that none of them are going to be, like, those types of players will carry over into next season. Right. I mean, Jose Bautista, there was a report that the Met, even prior to the trade that even if the Mets traded him, they liked his presence. He, for as low as the batting average is, he has an, or an on-base percentage still over 340 because he's walking in an insane clip, and you still see the power, you still see the arm in right field. So there's a place for him. It, it's probably going to be on a minor league deal again, if I had to imagine, but maybe a team with familiarity like the Mets gives him a chance. So he'll play somewhere next year. It's kind of cool that someone that this era or one of this era's best players has a little run at the end of his career with the Phillies. It'll be a nice trivia question someday, but no, I don't anticipate that even really being a discussion. He was purely like a, a two-month rental, less than that even. Yeah, and, and, and unfortunately, you know, the Phillies did not have him in his prime, and if there's Donovan, or Donovan, uh, <laughs> you can tell I've, you can tell it's late at night, uh, the, the Dominic Brown for Jose Bautista trade rumors back in the day. That would have worked out very, very nicely for the Phillies had it come true, uh, but no dice. All right, so the last thing I want to talk about is some of the, the pitchers the Phillies just called up. They called up three more at the end of the AAA season. That's Drew Anderson, Eniel De Los Santos, and Ranger Suarez. How much do you want to see them down the stretch? And, you know, is it, it should you be limiting their innings at this point? Should they be pitching a little bit to see if they show promise because I'm looking at the three of them I don't see a fit for Drew Anderson unfortunately and it's not to say that he he wasn't good for the Iron Pigs and it's not to say that he won't catch on with somebody but when you look at ceilings and you look at the need to add people to the 40-man roster I have trouble seeing him being what do you think 
Yeah, I agree with you on Drew Anderson. The other two are interesting. Ranger Suarez, I would like to see start before the end of the season. Not sure if that's going to happen or not. I guess it depends how far they fall out of contention. Because all it looks like Jared Eikhoff might get a start at some point. Look, I mean, you look around the Phillies rotation, every single one of these guys is pretty much, at a, with the exception of Jake Arrieta, is at a point where they're pitching more than they've ever pitched. And to a degree, I think that's why you've seen some fall off at this point of the year. And hopefully in the Phillies' case, it will help them next year when this isn't uncharted territory. But you have room to get some starts. And so potentially Rangers Swarms. It looks like the Phillies want to see Aniel De Los Santos as a potential relief option, which is interesting because it gives them a chance to get a brief glimpse of him. If they like what they see, maybe that's the role he's in next year. If not, maybe he comes to spring training and competes for a job in the rotation next year because a lot of the guys we thought were locks for the rotation, guys like Nick Pavetta and Zach Eflin, they may not be that heading into next year. And you don't know what the plan is for Vince Velasquez moving forward. So it's a good chance to see what you have in Daniel De Los Santos out of the bullpen. It's also a good way to limit his innings a bit. So that's interesting to see. And uh, look, the Phillies have a lot of arms. It's a, it's a matter now of figuring out where these arms are as you hope to step into contention. Teams that or even considering signing Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are hoping to compete not only for a division but beyond. And, you know, it, this was kind of a year of seeing what you have and you didn't get all the questions or even many of the questions you wanted to answer answered. But you need to take a step now and make a decision on some of these. And that includes guys like Daniel De Los Santos, Drew Anderson, to me, is kind of the odd guy out. And Ranger Suarez, we'll see. I would imagine he starts next season at AAA, but who knows. And one name we didn't see, which was, I don't want to say I'm disappointed. I mean, maybe because it was a long season. But, but Cole Irvin seems to me like somebody, since he's a lefty, had a tremendous season at AAA that, that should be in spring training competing for a roster spot, maybe maybe even to be in that rotation, you know, to give them a left-handed arm in that uh, back end of the rotation. Why do you think they did not call up Cole Irvin? Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Cole Irvin wasn't on the 40-man? Yeah, Cole Irvin is not on the 40-man roster right now. Right, so they didn't have to do that. and Yeah, I'm not entirely sure, but I, I would think it's from that, obviously, if they called him up at this point of the season, they wouldn't have intended to send him back down at any point. So, burning an option, I guess, isn't a concern. But uh, yeah, I, I guess that makes that—that's probably the reason. And you had enough guys that you wanted to get a look at. I do think someone like Daniel Taylor Santos probably has a higher ceiling, and it's also luck in some cases of when guys go down and who's starting day aligns with who's. That's how Ranger Suarez got his second start. So. I wouldn't look. He, he had a very good season, and he'll be with the Phillies in likelihood next year, probably on the 40-man roster. And in spring training, we'll see what he's able to produce and if he's able to be a part of this rotation or bullpen in the future. And the only one we haven't seen so far is, is Aaron Loop. I have not heard a thing about Aaron Loop, yet he's on the 10-day DL, not the 60-day DL. That could have opened up a spot for somebody. Have you heard a thing about where Aaron Loop is? No, it's kind of one of those things where you, you're even you're going to forget in six months that Aaron Loop ever was on the Phillies because the, Matt Contact took a fire, the fire didn't work. That's how it goes sometimes at a deadline, especially with relievers. Sometimes you get Scott Ayer, sometimes you get Aaron Loop, and that's life. And it's kind of indicative of some of the luck that the Phillies have had here in the second half with 
acquiring veterans that have some track record elsewhere and not getting the production that they hoped for. Well, they have 39 players to look at in the remaining 14 games. Hopefully they find an opportunity to play everybody they hope to see, but the way they've been using players, I think they have a shot at it. Tim Kelly, thanks for chatting tonight. Thanks a lot, Frank. So 14 days to go. We will see what happens to the Phillies in the next 14 days. I suppose there's a chance. There's always a chance, right? A chance the Phillies will sweep out the Braves and somehow make up all six and a half games. But it's not likely. So I would just say at this point, enjoy the games that are left. You'll miss baseball when it's not around. Enjoy watching Aaron Nola a couple more times. Enjoy watching some of these young players. Enjoy watching... Heck, some of the some of the veterans, right? Wilson Ramos, Esdrubal Cabrera, Jose Bautista, right? <laughs> some of these some of these veterans that probably will not be Phillies again after this year. Just try to enjoy it. Remember why you're a baseball fan, and even though it's been frustrating, there's still a couple more weeks left of baseball. And when it's all said and done, I think you'll look back and think that the Phillies did better than anybody expected this season. We'll be back with you next week, but for now, this is episode 55 of the Phillies Nation podcast. I'm Frank Close, and I will catch you next week.